Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Leviticus uh, chapter 23. We're taking a little break um, from... The Song of Solomon, since today, just uh, I guess a little while ago, Yom Kippur just ended, and I guess in parts of the United States it's still going on. So we're going to be in Leviticus 23. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just uh, thank you as one song said that you are perfect in all of your ways. And as I was playing, I was just thinking about how many times, Lord, I don't even want to um, plug into you consistently and that you're perfect. And that means I want to settle for less than perfection. So I just pray tonight, Lord, that we would understand that everything that you say in your word has meaning. There's nothing there that um, cannot be used by each one of us. And you always call us deeper. No matter what we're going through, you call us deeper into a deeper communion, a deeper union with you. So, Lord, I just pray tonight that we would just heed that call. I pray for whatever went on today, whether it be good or bad, that you just settle all our hearts, that we would be able to really glean from the things that you want us to know from uh, Leviticus 23. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well today is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And we're going to look at some of the, well, we're going to look at all the feasts of um, Israel. And in Leviticus 23, it says, The God of Israel uh, gave a marvelous and profound prophetic system by choosing seemingly arbitrarily seven holy feasts to be held each year by the chosen people. And we're going to take a look at these feasts. A holy convocation is something that the Lord had called the Israelites to, and all a convocation is is a large assembly. Um. People that were set apart for the Lord. So whether we're a few or a lot, we're an assembly to the Lord. And the thing that I love about the scriptures, whether they're the Old or the New Testament, it speaks to you and me today. There's always something that God wants us to know. That's why it's the living word of God. Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever, he is speaking to us at this time of history. He's speaking to individual hearts. He's speaking to us collectively in this church. He's speaking to the body of Christ throughout the world because it's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside each believer. There are seven Jewish festivals or feasts. And you might be saying, well, why are you talking about Jewish stuff? Well, that's the point of tonight's teaching, that you see the importance of these Jewish festivals to you and to me. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. It has tremendous significance to us all. Now, there were appointed times that God wanted these feasts celebrated. And he spread them out over the course of a whole year. They honor God's name 
And what's so awesome is they talk about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's symbolized within all the feasts. Now think about that for a second. It's symbolized within all the feasts. Jesus' death, his life, and his resurrection. Remember, it was written initially to the Jewish people. But remember, Jesus came and was born into a Jewish family. Jesus was a Jew. And he came to minister to not only to the Jews, but to the non-Jews known as Gentiles. Now, you and I are no, under no obligation to, uh, we're not legally binded to celebrate the Jewish feast or really any feast. We're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't understand the importance of these feasts. And I think for a long time in my Christian walk, I didn't really pay attention to them. I said, that's a Jewish thing. But we should never downplay the importance of what God gives us in his word, whether it's in the Old or the New Testament. It's rich in meaning. Now, there are opponents. There are opponents to you as a believer in Jesus. There are opponents to people that are Jewish and believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are opponents. Those opponents try to suppress the truth. They do this by mocking They do this by diverting conversations into another direction. They change the subject. They vilify Christians or Jews. Or they replace the things that are taught in the scriptures with other philosophies or other religions. Now, you have to understand that if a religion doesn't teach God's word verse by verse, you're not getting the whole counsel of God. doesn't matter if it's a so-called Christian church. Genesis to Revelation was given to us for a specific purpose. And that's so we would know the whole counsel of God. Now, there's a biblical worldview that we should hold as believers in Jesus versus just a worldview. And I guess one of the things that we should always ask ourselves is, how is my biblical worldview? How, do the th- how does the things that I look at and perceive and, and, and digest, how does that line up biblically with what God says? How much of the things that I'm dealing with and thinking about and mulling over in my head are lined up with the Scripture? Or am I going a lot of things by my own feelings or what I'm hearing in the news or what I'm reading in the newspaper or what I'm watching on TV? Because that can definitely influence your biblical worldview. And understand, the enemy wants your biblical worldview to be messed up. He doesn't want you to see straight. Romans 1, 28 to 32. Pastor Joe, of course, being in Romans, and it was the first chapter we looked at, I want to just outline some of the things that it talks about. It says that there's a group of people that did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now, the song early, I think it was the second song that the worship team did, was perfect in all of your ways. And I just prayed that before we got into this day, because I was just thinking in the back. He's perfect in all his ways. Can anybody here say that? 
You might have a skill. You might have a gift. You might have something that you're very, very good in. But I can guarantee you're not perfect in it. But he's perfect in all of his ways. And these people in Romans 1 didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. And I guess my question to myself and to you is how much of God do we want to really have knowledge about? How much do we want to retain? How much do we want to hold on to the things of God? Now, another thing that was characteristic of the people in Romans 1 was a debased mind, which basically means um, the value and the quality of their mind was reduced. How many of you would want to say, oh, I, I hope tomorrow morning when I wake up, I have a reduced value and quality of my mind? Right? We would never think that. But yet, Romans 1 talks about how when we're not plugged in and following the Lord and and filled with his Holy Spirit, we really take on some of the characteristics of not retaining God in our knowledge, of, of reducing the value or quality of our mind. Our quality of character as a person is lowered. Now, some of the things that are listed in Romans 1, 28 to 32 are, as a result of these things, of not being plugged in, there's an unrighteousness, there's sinfulness, there's sexual immorality, there's wickedness, there's covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, an evil mind. People are whisperers, they're backbiters, they're haters of God, they're violent, they're proud, they're boasters, they're inventor of evil things, they're disobedient to parents, they're undiscerning, they're untrustworthy, they're unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Now, think of all those things. I just went through several of them. But understand that those are a result of people not being plugged into God. God is perfect in all of his ways. When we're not plugged into God, we're less, we don't even come close to the things that he wants to pour out on us through his grace. Now, the people in Romans 1 know the righteous judgment of God and that that the righteous judgment of God is punishable by death. But yet, as humans in the flesh... With our sin nature, whether you're a non-believer or a believer, the flesh and the world and the devil are still trying to vie for your attention. But these people do it anyway. They do their own thing. If it feels good, do it. You know, go for all the gusto. Um, I deserve this today because of all the things that I've been through. But not only do they do these things, they approve others doing them, they praise their conduct, and they commend them, and they're doing the same thing that they're doing. But remember, they're not keeping their eyes on Christ, and if they're a non-believer in Jesus, they're doing whatever their flesh wants them to do. They're just going with the flow. Now, Israel... Remember the word Israel, Jacob, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. He was a, he was a conniver. But when he wrestled with God, and God broke him, physically and spiritually, threw his hip out of place, physically. 
spiritually threw his spirit out of place that Jacob didn't want to let go of God until God blessed him. And when God blessed him, he changed his name from Jacob, deceiver, conniver, to Israel, governed by God. Before Christ, we're like Jacob. We're a deceiver, we're a conniver, we're out for our own good. After Christ, governed by God. But how much are we governed by God? A little bit or a lot? You know, where are we on that spectrum of allowing God to be Lord of our life? Now, Israel's spring and fall harvest, they followed the agricultural seasons. So God makes it very easy for you and me. He uses so many things in our world that he created to get our attention. And he did the same thing back in the days of Israel. A reminder of God's ongoing protection and provision. The spring and the fall harvest, these seasons, was a reminder of God's protection and provision to the people of Israel. But it also foreshadowed Jesus' redemptive work. And this is one of the things I want to bring out tonight to help you to try to see things in a different perspective with things that God has built into our calendar throughout the world. Now, these feast days were significant during Jesus' earthly ministry. But they symbolize the complete redemptive story. He didn't want anyone to miss salvation, whether it be a Jew or a Gentile. He doesn't want anybody to miss it. Now, the spring feast are four. The Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, and the Feast of Weeks. Three occur almost simultaneously. The first one we're going to look at is the Passover. It lasts up to about eight days. Reformed Jews celebrate seven days. Now, the Passover is redemption from sin. Now, for you and I, we'll see that in a second, but for the Israelites in the Old Testament, it's when Moses was going to lead a couple million Israelites out of Egypt. They were slaves. Egypt is a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Moses is a type of Christ. Now, one of the things that they had to do, I'll go to the next picture, is they had to slaughter a lamb. And they had to take the blood of an innocent lamb, a spotless lamb, and put it on the doorpost. Well, for you and I, Jesus is that lamb of God. He shed his blood. He was the Passover lamb. He still is the Passover lamb. The Jewish people don't see that yet. Some do. There's some messianic or completed Jews that come to this fellowship. A messianic or completed Jew is a Jewish person who recognizes that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Christ, that was prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. The Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, 
It was a Passover meal. Just before Jesus was going to sacrifice himself as the Lamb of God for the sins of the whole world. Now, the next feast is a feast of the unleavened bread. It starts the day after the Passover is celebrated. It lasts for one week. Now, one of the things is the Jewish people have no yeast in their bread. And that's because there was an emergency exodus, exit that they had to do. They didn't have time to bake the bread to let it rise. They had a hurry. They were getting out of Egypt when Moses led them out. But what was taking place is that they were leaving their old lives. Remember, they were in slavery to the Egyptians. Remember Pharaoh being a type of Satan. Egypt being type of the world. They were being delivered from the world. They were being delivered from slavery. Yeast in the New Testament is a type of sin. No sin-filled lives for people who have come to Christ. There's an emergency, emergency exodus for us. The WFD is the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're set free from that influence. We're no longer chained to it. Can we go back to the world, the flesh, and the devil? You bet. You can. See, before Christ, you didn't have a choice. He set you free from the chains of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus cleanses. He empowers you to keep walking away. He indwells you by his Holy Spirit. You're free from the old life and you're new creatures in Christ. Remember, this is not just for the Jews, these feasts. On the right of the picture up there, it says, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Remember, leaven is a type of sin, the yeast. That you might be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. And that's in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. I want to look at this word purge. Purge is to remove quickly and violently in a very strong and intense way. And that verse had said to purge out, therefore, the old leaven, to purge out the old sin. If you're here tonight and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're still messing around with leaven, with the yeast, with the sin of what Christ has set you free from, God wants you to know is to remove it quickly and violently. Be vicious with your sin. Do not mess around with it. You know, Samson did that. He played being a judge of Israel. And as a result of compromising with sin, he lost his eyesight because he was already spiritually blind. But he lost his eyesight. They took away his eyes. They pulled him out of his head. As a result, they tied him to a mill and he had to be like an ox going around grinding the wheat. His life became to grind because he compromised with sin. 
And he was bound in that sin. He was chained to the sin once again. You and I, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead, and you've asked him and you put your tr- asked him into your life and put your trust in him, you're set free from the world, the flesh, and the devil. The question is, are, have you purged sin from your life or are you still holding on to it? Again, remove it quickly and violently. Be intense with your sin. Another feast is the Feast of First Fruits. Now remember, these feasts happen very quickly. This starts on the second day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the one we just looked at. So it starts on the second day. It was the beginning of the harvest season in the springtime. Now one of the things they did is they took a sheaf which was a bundle of grain stalks, just a big bundle of grain stalks. And they would bring it to the priest who would wave it as a wave offering to the Lord. Now, they were acknowledging God's deliverance and provision. The deliverance from Egypt a long time ago. And the provision that he provided them a promised land that they were going to or that they were in. Do you know if you're a believer in Jesus tonight that you've been delivered from sin, but he's also given you his promises? You live in a land of the promises of God. But if you don't know the promises of God, you can't be aligned with the perfect ways of Jesus Christ. If this is the only time and Sunday's the only time you hear God's word, you're anemic. You fall short of the things God wants to give you. Can you imagine applying that to any concept, to teaching or to sports or to anything you're involved in? You imagine just doing it once or twice where you prepare yourself for that event? How far would you fall short in that, in that teaching or that competition? What would be the outcome? You might finish the day or the race, but you know yet if you had prepared better, you would have done a lot better in your performance. It's the same way with our walk with Christ. What we put in in our relationship with Christ is what we're going to see in the results day to day and month to month and year to year. It showed, the, first, the Feast of First Fruits showed Israel's gratitude and dependence on God. How is our gratitude and how is our dependence? Do we realize there's nothing that we can do without the dependence on God? Well, Pastor Vinny, that's not true. Yeah, it is. Who's giving you your next breath or heartbeat? It's not me. It's not the person next to you. It's God himself that's allowing us to have that that next breath or that next heartbeat. So our gratitude and dependence, God shows us in his word that we should be grateful, that we should show our dependence on him since every second of every day is dependent on him giving us that heartbeat and breath. 
Now, the Feast of First Fruits was also symbolic of Christ's resurrection. Jesus being the first fruit of those who died. Jesus rose and he received a glorified body. He preceded you and I. He's right in through his resurrection, that first fruit. It's definitely a biblical feast for Christians. We know as a Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. Then there is the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. We know it is Pentecost. It was the end of the grain harvest. And it showed their gratitude to God for the harvest. They're bringing in their food. They're bringing in their sustenance for their physical well-being. For a period of time, they're going to rely on that harvest. You know, you and I can go to the stores. Their store was the field and how they prepared it. And how God blessed them with crops. They used those crops throughout the months ahead. Now, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, we celebrate Pentecost. But remember, Pentecost was a guarantee of salvation and a future resurrection for the body of Christ, for the believers in Jesus Christ. It was when God sent his Holy Spirit to his followers up in that room. You might remember the tongues of fire, like fire, that came upon their heads. But you, when you receive Jesus into your heart and you put your trust in him, you are given his Holy Spirit. That's a guarantee of your salvation. It's a guarantee of a future resurrection where you will get a new body. The Holy Spirit of God indwells in you if you're a believer here tonight. If you're not a believer here tonight, the Holy Spirit drew you here. There are people in other churches or maybe at home Bible studies or maybe they're in a supermarket and somebody's talking to them about the Lord. It was, it's God's Holy Spirit that brings people into a position to hear God, how much he loves them and cares for them and wants them to be his children. And it doesn't matter how young you are. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter how poor you are, how rich you are. doesn't matter how talented you are. doesn't matter if you're outgoing or reserved. doesn't matter. He loves you uniquely for just how he made you. He knows how you're wired. And he knows what you need, which is him. The Holy Spirit of God indwells believers to empower for ministry. Another word for ministry is serving. People who are followers of Christ serve others. They serve others in a secular world. They serve others in a Christian world. They serve others in a biblical worldview. They serve others in a non-biblical worldview. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. The world is everybody. 
The world is everybody, whether they're a believer in Jesus or not. The world is people who are atheists, Islamic, Buddhist, agnostics, Christians. Doesn't matter. He indwells you and me and empowers us through the power of his Holy Spirit to serve others. How are we doing? How am I doing? How are you doing with this? And we're sealed in Jesus. Our spirit, our spirit, was born again when we received Jesus into our hearts. Jesus said, you must be born again. Jesus said that. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. So when you're born again, your spirit becomes alive. Now that spirit that becomes alive bears witness with God's Holy Spirit that you're his child. You're his child. But it all starts at that moment that you say, Jesus, I cannot do this. I know I'm a sinner. I can't make it on my own. I want to be dependent on you, not only today, but for the rest of my days on this earth and, of course, through all eternity. And as long as people are walking on this earth, they're going to have the opportunity to to do that. But unfortunately, the Bible also says the road to hell is wide and many are on it, and the road to heaven is narrow and few find it. In John 4.23, it says, The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. So the law given through Moses, the Holy Spirit given through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Now, there was a period of time between the spring and the fall feast. Spiritually, this is symbolic of the church age. Right now, we're living in the church age. The day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, began the church age. We're still in it. Now, we saw the spring feast, which showed the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's a past historical event. We receive the Holy Spirit throughout the last couple thousand years. The people of the body of Christ have received the Holy Spirit. We wait for his return. There's a period of time that's elapsing for us right now. We're waiting for his return. We're waiting for the rapture of the church. We're waiting for his second coming. Now the spring feast pointed to his ministry of his first coming. The fall feasts, the ones we're going to look at now as we wrap up, point to his ministry of his second coming. There are three fall feasts. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, that started sundown yesterday and ended sundown today, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Trumpets was back at the end of September for you and, us, for you and I in this area. It started September 29th. I believe it was a Sunday night at sundown. Now, the, day, the Feast of Trumpets was a day that the trumpets were blasted. And it was one of the things that signals it was a sacred season that was coming. 
It was also the end of the agricultural and the festival year. For you and I, it was a sig- it's the signal of Christ coming. For the rapture of the church, for the second coming of Christ. Now, Yom Kippur, also known as the Day of Atonement, the last 24 hours. One way it helps me to remember is at one mint. At one mint. We're at one with Christ because of what he did. Yom Kippur is 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets. It lasts about 25 hours. For us in this area, it started at 6.08 p.m. yesterday and ended at about 7.07 p.m. tonight. Back in the old days, in the Old Testament, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. He would be selected. One guy would be selected once a year to enter into the uh, temple and go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice for his sins and the sin of the whole nation. It was also symbolic of God turning his attention back to Israel one day. After the church age is over. Now, we believe in the pre-trib or pre-tribulation rapture, where the church, the body of Christ, the believers in Jesus, will be removed before the last seven years of uh, history. At this time, when the church is removed, God will turn his attention back to the Jewish people. Right now, his attention is on all the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Now, when Jesus turns his attention back to Israel, he's going to remove the spiritual blinders from the eyes of the Jewish people who are remaining during the time of the tribulation. And they're going to come back to faith in Christ. If they survive the tribulation. That's where that one verse says, all Israel will be saved. The unfortunate thing is this, over two-thirds of the Jewish race is going to be destroyed during the tribulation. That is why it's imperative to pray for the Jewish people today, both here in this country and throughout the world and in Israel. That's why it's such a joy to know when Jewish people receive Jesus Christ. Because if they don't receive Jesus now, and it's after the church is removed, they will only receive Jesus during the tribulation, but they could also be killed during that time. They might not survive. And here's just some of the things in the Day of Atonement. There, was, there were two goats in the old days. One would be sacrificed and the blood would be brought into the Holy of Holies. The other goat would be the scapegoat that they would let out into the wilderness. Well, Jesus became our scapegoat. The, in the middle picture, the priest would lay his hands on the goat's head. And that was symbolic of him taking the sins of the nation. And then they would send that goat out into the wilderness. Well, Jesus Christ took our sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west. 
He threw them into the sea of forgetfulness. And of course, the one picture on the far right, Jesus again being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The final feast of the seven is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It's five days after Yom Kippur. So five more days they'll be celebrating, the Jewish people will be celebrating the Feast of Booths. Seven days the Israelites were supposed to present offerings to God. And during these seven days they would live in huts or booths made of palm branches. This recalled their temporary stay in the desert before entering the promised land. I want to point out though, Remember in the desert that all the older people died in the desert because they were compromisers. They never entered into the promised land. Only Caleb and Joshua and I think everybody around 20 years or younger entered in because the older people were complaining. They didn't really put their trust in God like Caleb and Joshua did. Now, Christ's future rule and reign on earth is symbolic of tabernacles. This is a future event for you and I, where we will tabernacle, dwell with Jesus Christ physically forever. So we see a shadow of Jesus in the tabernacle. If you ever did a study of the Uh, Jewish tabernacle, it's full of Jesus. From the bread, Jesus being the bread of light, to the menorah, Jesus being the light of the world, to, of course, entering the Holy Holies where the lamb is sacrificed. Now, we await, as a future event, the rapture and the second coming of Christ. The fall feasts point to the glory of his second coming. We have a hope and a promise of an eternity with Christ. But Pastor Ben, how do you know that? Well, look at all the other promises that have already come true. You think God's going to all of a sudden say, ah, that's it, I'm tired of keeping my promises. That's not our God. There's, There's tremendous significance in the feast. And we just touched upon them. I'm hoping you're seeing and understand a complete picture of God's plan for man and woman. His plan for us all. And his plan of salvation is throughout the whole scripture, but it doesn't just stop when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We need Jesus Christ 24-7, 365. You know and I know when we don't plug into Christ, what happens in our thought life, Right? During the time we're just laying in bed or driving a car. We know what happens when we don't plug into Christ the way we react with people that we love. The way we react with people we don't even know, with strangers. That flesh nature wants to always resuscitate. And we need to be violent with it. We need to crucify our flesh. And allow God to live in and through us. So I hope in this short time that we had that you get a little better picture of the fall feast. 
And understand, it's not for the Jewish people only. It's for all people, Jews and Gentiles. For he wants all of us to put our trust in him. And as you get your face in the book and read his word, he will continually speak to you about the things you're going through individually, going through collectively as a family or as a church, things that are going on in your job, and things that are going on in the world. He's perfect in all of his ways. He calls you and I to go deeper with him. Are we willing to respond? You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield's by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.